Evening, everybody. So happy to see you all here um, in the middle of a, just a beautiful week. And I hope that um, as beautiful as the weather is and just as filled with life and almost like spring, I, I hope that's how your, your family's doing. I hope that's how your heart is in the middle of this week. We're going to go to Acts chapter 6. And the book of Acts is... It's about the life of the early church. It's about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is shaping and forming and making the church. And so we, we come to the book of Acts as a church, realizing that there's much to be learned. We can't just pick up church from the book of Acts and just plant it here in our world, in our time, as if everything we see is, is normative, that everything that we see in Acts is exactly the way we should be doing it, but we get principles that guide us as a church how we operate, why we do what we do. And we have a chance tonight to examine a practice that we use here, a practice that a number of you men are involved in and that all of you have been eyewitness to and evaluate its earliest origins. That is the office of deacon. So in Acts 6, we're going to see the need for deacons, the environment in which it arose, the standard by which they were appointed and chosen, and then we're going to look at one specific standout deacon who, remember a few weeks ago, we saw Barnabas just for a moment. And we know enough about Acts to know that the camera will cut back to him at a later time. It's going to do that with Stephen also. He's, he, we see him hinted at, and then we see him beginning his experience that leads to the spread of the gospel through the nation. So join me in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying. Well, that's good news. That's, that's what you want. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, seek brethren, I'm sorry, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. In those days when the number of the disciples was not adding, multiplying. As the gospel is, is spreading, we're going to be reminded in Jerusalem, this is where all the action is going on, and as you read that, we're going to go in our minds back to Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So, so Jesus' promise is that the Holy Spirit will empower their witness and that it will radiate out from the center. And so far, everything we've seen is in Jerusalem. And at the end of chapter 6, Luke is going to remind us that's where we are, and then we're going to see the spread out from there. One of the purposes of chapter 6 is to tell us that the gospel is firmly established in Jerusalem. So it's good news. The, the number is multiplying. They're preaching. People are getting saved. This is a, a revival in the church. Well, it's a revival. It's not revival. It's the first time uh, that it's been brought to life 
Good times. God's moving. And the problem arises in the midst of of good movement of God. When God moves, it's wonderful, but it's not always easy. When God moves, it brings about human problems also that we have to use wisdom, holiness, good judgment to solve. And here's the problem. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Let's make sure we understand these terms, who the parties are. They're all Jewish. Okay? But the Hebrews are people who are going to speak primarily Hebrew and Aramaic. They're, they're going to be what we might call old school. They live in a world governed by the Romans with Greek culture. Okay, So what happened hundreds of years before what we're reading about here is there was Alexander. He got a nickname. Who knows what it was? The Great. Okay, He conquered the world. He was not Greek. He was Macedonian. His father was a Macedonian king, and his father wanted him to be as well-educated as he could be, so he sent off for the greatest scholar of the time, whose name was Aristotle. Yes, that Aristotle, who was very Greek. And as he educated Alexander, he taught him to love Greek culture as the, the, the highest point so far of human society. And as Alexander... Alexander conquered the world. He spread Greek culture. Now, they have a lot of mythology. One of their myths is about Helen, the most beautiful woman who ever lived, the daughter of Zeus, the wife of Menelaus, who ran away with Priam, and uh, she was so beautiful that rather than let her go, he started a war over it, the face that launched a thousand ships, okay? Helen became the figurehead for Greece, much the way when we talk about America, we might say Lady Liberty, and we personify America with this statue of a woman. They personified Greece with Helen. So Hellenists, or being Hellenized, simply meant that you you lived according to Greek culture. Even though Roman law Uh, prevailed, the culture remained Greek. And so the Hellenists were going to be Jews who speak Greek and live a more, hear me out here, modern lifestyle. I know it was a long time ago, and there's none of it modern by our standards, but you've got old school Jewish Hebrews and the Jews who had acclimated to the culture. Okay, And so they... um, They're the same race. It's not a racial problem. It's a cultural problem. People like us and people not like us. So the complaint arises. We've seen all these people selling their possessions, bringing the the money to the apostles, laying it at Peter's feet, and it being used to meet the needs of the poor. Well, this is where the money's being used to, to feed widows. And the complaint is that the people controlling the money are favoring people like them, old school Jews, faithful Jews, and ignoring the needs of Hellenized widows. Okay, So it, it, it's a clash of culture in the church, but it has to do with 
how we treat people. It has to do with, with meeting real needs of impoverished people, and so it matters quite a bit, and so it's a serious issue. Watch how the apostles handle it. The, uh, the twelve summon the multitude of the disciples. They don't go gather privately in the back room to hatch a plan. They gather the people. Get everybody together. we got a real issue here. Because the governing model of the church that we believe is biblical, and this is one of the things that makes us Baptists, is that the authority is God's authority. It abides in the people through the filling of the Holy Spirit. So we under God govern our church, and, and that's how they did it. So they, they are the apostles. This is Peter and John, okay? The, the people who knew Jesus best, the people with a, a, a supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit to do miracles, calling the rank and file and saying, what do you want to do? Here's how we, we recommend you handle it. This way to govern the church is biblical. That's why we do it. So they bring everybody together and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. The primary ministry of the church is the word of God, to preach it, to teach it, to understand it themselves in light of Christ, and then to be able to express that to the church. The purpose of the church was not to feed the widows. That's important. What's primary is that they know God. So, he's, so, so they bring them all together and say, um, it's a serious problem. We want to solve it, but it's not our job. We've got our job. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men. So they hand it over to the multitude. They give power to the people to choose seven men. Okay, The brethren are responsible for seeking them out. They didn't handpick their protégés. Because their goal is not to hold on to power, their goal is to share power and service so the needs get met. The church governs itself under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This statement, from among you, from the multitude, without respect to wealth or to power, uh, purely with respect to what we're going to read in a moment, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, that sort of thing, that based on the quality of their experience with God and man, uh, they should be chosen. Seven men. Now, there's no reason to believe that this is the right number. Every church needs seven deacons. Well, I don't know that this text says that. It says, in this instance, you seven. Seems to be right for the church. Wouldn't be enough for some churches. Those poor men would be overwhelmed because some churches have 10,000 members, okay? Maybe too many for others. The purpose isn't to say God's will is that every church has seven. The purpose is to say God's will is that we have godly men serving as deacons. And in this instance, that's the number that they pick. What's the standard? Good reputation. How do I know what's in your heart? I know it by experience with you. How, how do people see this person? We're about to hand them money that people sold their property and brought to the Lord, and we're going to put it in their hands in trust. What kind of a person is this? And we're going to ask them, use this with 
justice to make sure that, that impoverished widows get fed properly. So they have a huge task, and only the right people should do the job, and it's based on how have they lived? How do they behave? How do they act? What evidence do we have of the, the work of God's Spirit in them, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom? Now, catch this. All of the church has been filled with the Spirit. The Spirit's fallen on everybody. But not everybody is in the Spirit, full of the Spirit in the way that others are. Ananias and Sapphira were in the church, and the Spirit had fallen upon them, and they conspired together to lie to the Holy Spirit, and God struck them dead at the altar a week ago. So everybody has the Holy Spirit, but not everybody is, in the way Luke speaks of it here, full of the Holy Spirit. People who spiritually stand out. And, and wisdom, and that is the, the, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit empowering, guiding their lives, whom we may appoint over this business. Okay, And when they say this business, I think they're serious about it. That's not an insult. Oh, that business over there. Oh, this business, this is important. Because if people bring their money to feed the widows, and some widows are going to bed hungry and starving because something's gone wrong here. That's important business. So they call for the church to appoint good men filled with the Spirit. But we will give our, ourselves continuously to two things, to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. They're going to pray because that's their own spiritual formation. Their, their job is to be close to Christ. Remember when Peter and John were brought before the, the council and they were unlearned, untrained men, but they had been with Jesus and that had shaped them. They're still in the business of being with Jesus. And then they're going to do the ministry of the word because that's for the spiritual formation of the church because the church will starve without feeding them the Word of God, teaching the ways of God, the wisdom of God, the love of God. So what they envision here is that the, the, the needs get met by the deacons and the apostles are, are going to pray and they're going to preach. <coughs> What's the response? The saying pleased the whole multitude. Have you ever done anything that pleased everybody? What a miracle this is, Okay. That's a reasonable answer. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Philip, I want you to notice this. Philip is a Greek name. Alexander's father was Philip of Macedon. Okay? This is a Hellenized Jew. This is a mixed group here of Hebraic and Hellenized Jews because the, the need is a conflict between Hebraic and Hellenized Jews. And so uh, as we, we read them, the majority of them we've never heard of and we'll never hear from again. But they set them before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them, which is, is uh, an imparting of authority and imparting of, of power, of service. We do that even today when we ordain a deacon. When I was ordained as a pastor, men laid their hands on me and prayed for me in front of the whole church. Something like what we envision happening here, we get it from Acts 6. 
And the result, the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly where? In Jerusalem, remember Acts 1.8, that's where it starts. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So even the priests who go to the temple to serve, the men who are in the best position to look at Scripture and say, wait a minute, Jesus is the Messiah. This actually makes good sense. I get it. They're starting to see, and many of them are becoming obedient to the faith as well. So they had a problem arising from the revival. They solved it biblically. They solved it by giving it to the people and trusting the Holy Spirit in the people to make good decisions. They empowered these men to serve, and then they allowed them to do so, and the revival continued. Now, we pick up in verse 8. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Watch this. The only people so far doing wonders and signs, apostles. Stephen's a deacon. The deacons were picked just from among the people. Stephen's not special in that he, he spent... Years with Jesus. He's just somebody who got saved. And they saw something in him and said, we want him to be a deacon. He's full of faith and power. He's one of us. And he does signs, wonders in the sight of all, empowered by the Holy Spirit that um, only the apostles have done so far. Then there arose some from what is called the, the synagogue of the freedmen. Okay, now these are Jews, but they're not Hebraic Hebrew Jews, okay? Because he'll explain there, there's Cyrenians, they're Alexandrians, that's Egypt. And from Cilicia. And Asia. And when the New Testament speaks of Asia, usually what it means is uh, what is today Turkey. And they were disputing with Stephen. They're, they're, they're foreign Jews who have come here because this is where the temple is. And they start arguing because uh, Stephen's preaching something that is unlike the message of Moses. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Remember, the deacons were filled with wisdom and the Spirit, and that is unstoppable. They can't argue with that. So they secretly induced men to say, now, this is going to have some very familiar lines. It's going to look a lot like what happened to Jesus Christ himself. Uh, we have heard him speak... ...blasphemous words against Moses and God. Hey, we've heard Stephen say terrible things. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. Now remember, when Peter and John were and they sent the guards. Oh, sirs, if you, wouldn't, if you have a moment when you're through, if you wouldn't mind just to step in the other room and speak to the council a moment, they were afraid to lay hands on him and seize him because they feared what? The people. These people have stirred the people up against Stephen so that now they're empowered to go and arrest him and seize him. They um, have produced that effect. 
And they also set up false witnesses, which is what they did to Jesus, who said, this man does not cease to speak against this holy place, which is the temple and the law. For we have heard him say, here's, here's the misunderstood words of Christ, that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. He said, if you tear this temple down, I'll rebuild it in three days. What was he talking about? His body, okay? And they said, he, he's going to tear down the temple. No, one, one man certainly couldn't do that, and it's not what he meant. But they knew enough of what Jesus taught to say, oh, that set a nerve off last time. Let's say that again. And change the customs which Moses delivered to us. They, he, they're here to take away the law. They're here to, to, to destroy the covenants of God. Um, vaguely, broadly speaking, uh, in a way that we're not really sure what they mean, but it's enough to rile up the crowd. And all who sat in the council, okay, the Sanhedrin, the, the people who tried Jesus, the people who twice now have brought in Peter and John, found themselves powerless to prevent the preaching of the gospel, and here they are dragged in there again by the high priest. Really? You got another one? We got to do this again? They gathered them all in there. They're looking steadfastly at him. Saw his face as the face of an angel. I, I wish he would elaborate on what he meant by that. I've never seen the face of an angel. I'll tell you what I think he means. I think Stephen sitting there in, in perfect peace confident, calm, bold. That's been the word Luke has used all along, boldness. This is the most powerful assembly of men the Jews could put together, and they are slandering him. They're attacking him. He's going to die. That's the, the teaser for next week. Most of you are, already knew that. Um, he's going to get his word in first. And he's like the face of an angel. He, he's, he sees something else. He sees all these men, and they're looking at him, Angry, but what does Stephen say that he sees in Acts 7? He sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father standing. He has a face like an angel. God, God has given him a peace and a joy and a confidence in spite of injustice, in spite of what they're going to do to him, in spite of the way they're talking about him. And I'll just end with this wish on my part, maybe it's a wish for you as well, I've never been in an environment as hostile personally as Stephen is in. And he's got the face of an angel. And I can't sit through the news without getting mad. Right? Am I alone in that? We take things so personally that they, we allow them to steal our joy and to steal our peace, as if God weren't sovereign, as if He didn't tell us the nations will rage. And we get agitated and we get worked up and, and here He is, personally attacked, going to lay down His life and He has the face of an angel. May God do that for us. May there be a peace in us that passes understanding, a peace that abides, that is not affected and shaken by sin that we see around us.
will you join me as we pray? Our Father, we thank you for this short chapter, a lot happening here. We thank you for the deacons we see in Acts 6, and we thank you for the deacons of our church and for the deacons of so many all over the earth, all through time, that have faithfully served your people, that have used wisdom to shepherd resources, that care for those who need assistance with dignity and with honor because that's your desire. We thank you that the the service they give spans culture and race because we stand equal in front of you. We pray for the deacons of our church. I don't know that we speak about them often enough and we certainly don't publicly pray for them often enough, but Lord, I do. I thank you for the service they give. I thank you for the hearts they bring. I thank you for the way that you use them, especially these past few years and all we've endured. Thank you for wise, godly men. In Jesus' name, amen. And it occurred to me, I forgot to ask if any of you had questions. And so let me ask that before we move into the, the prayer list. If anybody does have questions talked about. Um, he was doing signs and wonders. I think he singled himself out. He, he was the standout. We, we don't hear from, from any of the rest of these guys ever. So far as we, we know, they just quietly, faithfully served. But he goes out there doing things only the apostles have done, and pre- he's a preacher. We're going to hear him next week. Uh, he, he knows the word, and he's scared to say it to everybody. So I think he, he ended up in a fight with powerful people who, um, it's my opinion, the Sanhedrin wants no part of this. They haven't in a while. Ever since they figured out, you, you can't scare these people into shutting up, um, and we, we, we don't want to kill them because we're on thin ice with the people anyway. But I think um, he ended up in a fight with these freedmen, and they have elevated it. And I think that, uh, I think it's clear, here's a teaser for next week, that um, if Stephen had kept his mouth shut, he'd have lived that day. But Stephen was a faithful deacon preaching the word of God. And that's what God used. He, he, he reminds us in Jerusalem. Okay, they, it, it was promised, you, you'll go out by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're in chapter 6, and they're still there. And this is going to be the thing. His stoning is going to be the catalyst that sends them out to the nation. So um, I think this was, was orchestrated by God, and he was the man God raised up um, to stand for him. And as, as he died... Jesus stood for him as well uh, to, to w- w- welcome him in, which I think is just a beautiful, beautiful scene. Anybody else? Very good. Okay. Um, the prayer 
list. I know the message uh, regarding Gail Pearson's son, whose name just went right out of my head. I apologize. Barry, thank you. Um, so pray for the Barry Pearson family. Who else? 